Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast, and today's episode hits kind of close to home for me. Close to home or close to school? Well, and that's just it. Miss uh, Miss Emily Clark, which it feels weird to call her that, is my gym teacher, but she also happens to be the first female CFL ref ever, or one of the first two, and it's a really, it's a really cool story, and it's it's so weird to think that everyone around you has these really cool stories. Well, I think that was the takeaway for me was when, you know, we started to hear rumblings that Emily was going to get an opportunity to ref at the CFL level. It was like, what else is she doing that we don't know about? What else is going on all around us that we don't know about? And and Emily was gracious enough to sit down and chat with us and talk a little bit about what goes into refing at that level. I mean, when you're officiating pro football, um, there's really CFL, NFL, XFL, you name it, that's the pinnacle, and uh, and she's out there doing it. 19 games this year, including a playoff game. It's incredible. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really like inspiring story to hear as well. Just the the fact that she like pushed herself to become this like the first ever or the one of the first ever CFL refs is just is it's such a really good story and um and it's 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 weird like I've mentioned it's weird to think that that's also my gym teacher who I've had since first grade, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I understand exactly what you're saying. And and like I said to her, I've, I've uh, had lots of meetings with her over the years. Um, this one was the funnest by far. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. Um, great, great story. Emily couldn't have been more gracious. And she talks about all about the things that go into it, how one day maybe it would be just a lot of fun to just be an official instead of a female official. And, and we're headed towards that for sure. But somebody has to blaze those trails. And we couldn't be happier to have Emily Clark on here to talk about it. So without any further ado, Emily Clark. Thanks for having me, Gord. I was uh, just saying before we started recording that this is exactly the type of story that I had in mind when I came up with the idea for this. I, I thought there's people out there that you're, at, you know, I always say that you're on the bus with or that you're at the grocery store with. And you don't know anything about them, even if you are from a small little town. Um, and you don't know what that person's story is. And lo and behold, uh, the gym teacher for my children and the person that I've had numerous parent-teacher interviews and interactions with over the years is so much more than that. You have such an incredible uh, side gig, I guess, for lack of a better term. And it was really great that you're able to come and sit down and talk to us about your time as an official in the CFL. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty interesting combination of what I've been able to kind of put together uh, in my life so far. And I, I kind of laughed at it a little bit last year when your son Liam, he said to me, hey, my dad's got this podcast and it's all about people in their second act and things that they're doing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't really see kind of what I'm doing as, as a bit of a, a second act because it's been officiating football has been such a huge part of my life for for so long but in the eyes of so many people now and now that I'm a bit more visible it it does seem like it's kind of a you know it is it is a second part of my life even though I wouldn't see it that way 
Well, and that's to that point. I mean, showing up at the professional level obviously means that there's been hours and days and years of toil that have gone into it. But like you say, for so many people, especially in our little town of Langdon, you're you're just Miss Clark. You, you're the teacher around the school. You're the person who's donating or volunteering and doing all this extra work around the school. And And unless somebody was to have asked you about it specifically or were involved in that that part of you know junior football until you had an opportunity to really be visible by by being at the professional level people might have never ever found out about it well it's it's true yeah and um you know you, you talk about the kids from from the town of langdon and you know some of them had seen me officiating football prior to being to being in the cfl because i've obviously refed for a number of years with the local association in calgary here doing peewee and bantam uh, and i still do that so yeah i'd always have you know moments on the field where I have kids coming up to me saying hey miss clark is you know whereas i'm in the middle of of officiating their games so some of them were were well aware of what i was doing but um, even some of the kids that I officiated on a regular basis didn't realize um, that I had kind of made the breakthrough up to the, the professional ranks within the last couple of years. So before we get into to that part of the story, and, and that is ultimately what we want to talk about, because that's your, you know, I guess for the purposes of the pod, that's your second act. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in a lifelong a uh, love affair with, I'm guessing it started out as football and not necessarily officiating football, but, but led you to that. Um, yeah. So, so I've got a couple of brothers, I have an older brother and a younger brother and, uh, started with my older brother playing football first and my dad coaching. And, um, and I got, you know, dragged around to games and practices and found a big interest in it right away. And, uh, I couldn't wait to start playing it myself. So I started playing when I was I believe eight years old and played uh, right through until I was in I think grade 11 or 12 uh, in high school. And um, yeah, always played with the boys uh, with a couple exceptions being at, at school. Uh, we played on, or I played on um, girls like flag or touch football teams in middle school and in, and in high school. And that was my only experience kind of participating in football with uh, like an all female or other females, I should say. Um, and yeah, and then when I was 13, I was approached by an official who had seen me play in a bunch of games and asked if I was interested in uh, in trying out officiating. Um, and again, it was something that my older brother had already started to do. Um, and um, for anyone that knows me, I'm very competitive with my brother and I always had the attitude that like anything he could do, I could definitely do it and probably could do it better. Uh, so I was like, sure, I want to, I want to go out there and try officiating. Um, and then I, I just really, really enjoyed it. I liked how it kept me involved in the game, um, especially at an older age where a size difference for sure came in between me and, and the boys that I was starting to play with at that time. So it was a good way to stay, stay involved, stay engaged. And, um, and there's a, there's a big coaching aspect to officiating too, especially when you're working at the younger levels. Um, I always felt like you're coaching the athletes out there as much as you are officiating the game for them. Obviously not quite as much as their actual coaches with the game strategy and everything like that, but the basics of the game as an official, you're, you're coaching those, those young athletes to learn it. And so that's what I, that's what I really, really enjoyed most and what I s still enjoy most about it and why I still, even now that I'm 
refing in the CFL will go and do, you know, some Bantam or Pee Wee games in Calgary on a Saturday. So at that point, I guess you're, you're not necessarily, I mean, when you're starting, you're not necessarily thinking about what you're going to be when you grow up, but as you carry on through and you become a teacher, um, there's a lot of similarities there to that aspect of nurturing these young athletes. And then as a teacher, you're, I mean, that's, there's a lot of that stuff. So did you find that as you became a, a more seasoned official that there, that you said, like, what are the things I like about officiating and what can I do to apply that to my career or, or were the two completely just sort of a coincidence that you ended up doing stuff that could have those parallels? No, I, I think there was definitely common ties be like between them. Um, I always kind of knew that I liked, again, liked coaching, liked teaching, uh, and officiating gave me that, gave me that element. Um, and after I'd done it for, um, probably about five or six years, I was starting to take on a bit of a, a mentorship role as well with other officials. Um, so I did really see it as like, yeah, teaching is definitely something that I can go into. And I would say it's, it's, it's common for, um, a number of officials that I work with in the CFL. I'm, you know, definitely not the only teacher. I'd say there's probably seven or eight other officials that I work with that also work as teachers, whether it's at middle school or high school and various subjects. There's a few of us that, that teach phys ed and some that are more in the classroom. Um, but yeah, there's there's all kinds of parallels that go between. And and yeah, I really, really enjoyed that right from the start. So it seemed like a pretty natural kind of career path for me to take was going into teaching. So when you're, when you're, in that college phase of your life and and life's busy and you're you know moving out on your own and doing all these things was officiating football something that was familiar enough that you could kind of keep and and that was the thing that was anchoring you and all these other new things were happening or did you have to take a break from it to kind of move forward with your life and then come back to it um it was actually definitely an anchoring thing for me um i grew up in ontario and moved out to Calgary to go to university. And I moved out to Calgary knowing no one. I didn't know anybody I was going to school with. I had no friends out here. Um, and so, yeah, it was a little bit tough at first actually to kind of find my groove in Calgary. Um, and so I was really glad that actually after being, being in Calgary for a couple of weeks in September that I reached out to the local association and said like, hey, I've already been officiating for you know five years or so in Ontario. We'd be really happy to jump in. Um, and as we know, there's a, always a shortage of, of officials for all sports in all areas of the country, unfortunately. So they were happy to bring me in uh, right away. And with that whole group of guys there, they they really took me in, took me under their wing, um, and I felt like I kind of had this family right away in Calgary, which was which was amazing. Um, and then the, the other reason I really kind of stuck with it to um, kind of through university, especially in those early years, uh, was it was my part-time job. Uh, it was easy to do because I could schedule around my classes with classes being during the day. And then I could do football games in the evening, um, being at UFC, McMahon Stadium's right there. So games that were there, it was super easy for me to get to. Um, so yeah, so that was my, that was my part-time income um, through, through university. So you were, you never really took a break on it. So, um, you're, you're building these skills and this skill set. Was it something that you felt like was going to just be this lifelong, uh, vocation for you, a way to pass 
what you know on to the younger generations, the way to help these uh, organizations that are looking? Or, or did you kind of have an idea that well, I'm pretty good at this and there's probably an opportunity for me here to continue to uh, progress and, and officiate more and more challenging leagues? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. Um, you know, most people that get into officiating and stick with it beyond a year, um, they do it because they really enjoy being there on the field or on the ice, wherever, wherever it is that they're officiating. Um, lots of it has to do with that camaraderie with the other officials that you work with. Uh, and again, that passing on of, of knowledge that we, we've touched on already. Um, so yeah, so that was definitely a huge, a huge part for me. I don't think even if I wasn't working in the CFL now, I definitely would still be doing, uh, doing football. Um, but yeah, at some point I did kind of did start to think like, you know what? I think there's a future here for me. I didn't necessarily think that I, that the CFL was in, was in reach, not right away at least. Um, I knew that I had a shot to work my way up and, uh, and work in the Canadian junior football league, um, and thought I had a shot to get to university games, but I kind of, kind of thought that that might, might be it, uh, at certain points. So it wasn't until kind of just before I got invited to go, uh, to the CFL, did I ever really think that that was going to be a, a possibility for me. So how, what do you have to do to get noticed by the CFL and, and is it, is it something like, does the CFL phone you? Does it say CFL on your caller ID? Or is it through, like, first of all, it's Prairie Junior, and then you, you know, there's some CIS, and those people, I'm assuming that community's pretty small. So once you're kind of on one person's radar, you're on a bunch of people's radar, and, and it kind of progresses that way, and they, they give you an idea of what it's going to take to go to the next level, or are you just getting to the next level and hoping to get to the next one all the way through? Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's definitely, it's a process and it's an ever changing one. Like if you talk to someone, um, you know, from five or six years ago and their path into the CFL, um, to what mine was, to what someone's is from this year that maybe just had their first year in the CFL, uh, they're all going to be a little different. Um, you're exactly right where you say like, you know, working in PFC or university sports, it, it is a small kind of network of people that are there in terms of the evaluators that we have and, and the mentors, um, pretty much all of which who have CFL experience. So for the most part, they are retired CFL officials that have come down and that are now mentoring um, officials at these, you know, elite levels to try to get up to the CFL. So there's definitely a lot kind of passed on um, by word of mouth um, and through evaluations and video uh, clips and everything like that. Um, but it's, there's no, there's no set track, I would say. Um, and I think I'm probably the perfect, perfect example of that because I actually, I had only done one university game prior to um, getting the, wasn't a call, didn't come up as a, as a call on my phone. It was an email that I got uh, that invited me to, to training camp. So I knew I was on their radar um, from a couple years prior because the, the director of, um, Kind of recruitment for the CFL officials at the time had contacted me. Um, but then the year following that, I actually didn't do any elite level games because I had had a pretty big knee and ankle injury from playing soccer. So I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to drop off their radar. You know, I was there maybe, you know, maybe a couple years down the road, I'll get a, another shot with them. So when I actually got the email, I was pretty, pretty stunned. And um, yeah, I was, yeah, pretty shocked by it. 
Oh yeah, I can imagine that as, as, at any point in that getting the call is, you know, um, a surprise is, is a welcome surprise, but especially coming off a, an injury in a rehab like that, thinking you'd maybe fallen off. That had to have been something that was like deep breaths. This is exactly what we've been working for. We're, we're qualified for this. We can do this. One of those type of moments. Yeah, absolutely. So I, and, and this is what I've pieced together. So if I'm wrong, correct me. Your your kind of debut at the professional level was a was a preseason game in 2019. Yes. So maybe just give us an idea of um, what that lead up to that was. I mean that I'm not and I'm not talking nerves and that. I mean we can talk about that too. But I'm meaning more logistically. Like, do they mail you your CFL emblazoned? jersey and you you sit and go through meetings or what was that maybe i don't know week or 10 day period leading up to that all about yeah so we um we have a training camp every year um for our cfl officials so kind of times up around the time that the the teams are getting going with their training camp so it's usually the beginning of may um so that year i was invited to to training camp and i had lots of lead time on that which was which was awesome. We were, I was told in uh, February that I was going, so had lots of time to get my head um, into the rule book, be watching video, talking to other CFL officials that had been around for a while and getting advice from them um, on a number of different things. Um, but yeah, but I went into, I went into training camp um, not knowing if, you know, from training camp I was going to get uh, an assignment into a preseason game. So I was leaving training camp on the Sunday that I was told, like, yeah, you're going to get into a game. It's probably only going to be half a game because there was a few new people that they were all trying to kind of work in in the same game. Um, so from there, I had two weeks to then prepare and, again, watched lots of lots of film, sat with a mentor uh, who's here in Calgary, uh, went through, again, more rules, all kinds of stuff um, to just kind of get totally, well, you say totally prepared, but you're never really totally prepared for your first game like that. As prepared as you can, I guess. And and what was the, like, the rules are, you know, they're slightly different at every level and every game, you know, like the American game and the American college game, the Canadian, the Canadian college game. There's all, but I mean, at this point, the rules, you get, you're, you, I mean, you know the rules. And it's like, it's got to be the, like as much in your head as anything, like when you're out there with the whistle on and your stripes, like you're, you're just an official ref in the game and, and maybe the players are bigger, faster or whatever. But I mean, at that point, like, it's like your Zen place. This is, I'm good at this. I'm good enough to be here. I'm just going to go out and call the game, but you have to get out there. Like when you take those first steps out of the tunnel and this, the stadium's actually two thirds full instead of just parents and grandparents and stuff like that. There has to be a moment of surrealness there that other than that very first time, it never it'll never happen again that way, right? Yeah, it there totally was. Um, and yeah, and I've, you know, my first game being in Calgary and having, you know, lived in Calgary and done so many games at McMahon Stadium, whether they were um amateur games or university games or PFC games, like like you said, like it's a totally different environment with having a much greater number of fans that are there. You got more people in media that are on the sidelines. Um, and the speed of the game is, is significantly faster. Um, so yeah, it was, a 
bit of a culture shock kind of right away as I as I stepped out, um, especially going for our, our pregame walk around. So, you know, before before the game, while the teams are out there warming up as officials, we go out and we have duties that we have to do. We go out and check equipment for the players and check equipment on the on the field, make sure pylons and everything in their correct spot. And and we talk through different scenarios with our, our sideline partners just to make sure that we are you know fully prepared um, for different scenarios that might be happening. And I remember walking out of the tunnel at McMahon and going to walk down the sideline for the first time. And yeah, there's cameras that were there, um, you know, pointed at me right away because they had, they had announced earlier that day that it was going to be the first time that um, female officials had been in the game um, with myself and, and Georgina Paul. So they'd kept it pretty quiet. And then it was very clear that they had, you know, done some media releases because there were, there were cameras all over the place, all over us. So that was another, another interesting thing to have to deal with, let alone being at first game for, for me to do, but, but being in that kind of spotlight with being the first female. And, and I don't think it's a fair question to ask um, about Georgina being there. I had, I had a, a couple of questions about her, you know, like, obviously it's, it's, so, I mean, it's noteworthy that there's these two women out there doing it and it's the first time. Um, and it's great that you had somebody else there to kind of, you know, share that with. But it's at some point it had to go away that there was two women on the officiating crew. Did it happen within that game? Did you notice it at all after the game where they was their media about it? Or at some point could it just be officials of officiating uh i i think it did just become you know that we were officials officiating like both of us were lucky in that game um i think to have each other there like i know like we text back and forth all the time uh, even though we're on opposite ends of the country and I've, I've said to her like you know what i was super glad that both of us did this game because we had somebody to kind of lean on that was going through the same thing um, but, but yeah, but once we got out there, like I had a couple plays that came to me right away that I had to rule on in terms of catches. Um, Georgina, I know had a, a pass interference that came to her right away and, and both of us handled it extremely well. And I think after the, you know, the initial kind of TSN cameras following us and giving us a little blurb on their broadcast, I think pretty quickly after that, it was like, yeah, these are just people out here officiating, officiating the game. And I feel like that's, more the direction that it's gone in uh, since then, which is great. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can really ask for. Um, even even for any kind of official, you don't want it to be about you. You want it to be about the game. And so anytime it can just be about the game and not about the official, I think everyone. Um, the, the one thing you brought up that I wanted to ask was, do you guys actually have to count the links in the chains for the first down? Or how does that work? Because it is 2022 and there's way better ways to measure distances than than a, a bunch of login chain that somebody hauled to the to the game in the back of their pickup right yeah uh we don't count each individual link um we do check the sticks every every pregame though to make sure that they are matching up with the 10 yard stripes that we have on the field so they'll our stick guys will go out and stretch out the chains, make sure they're 10 yards and they'll go to another set of 10 and then they will, they will check them there. So yeah. Yeah. We, I know people joke about it all the time. You'd be like, we must be at the point now where, you know, with technology and everything we have with replay that we could just like laser focus and laser point, you know, exactly where the spot of the ball is and where that 10 yard marker is, but we're not quite there yet. Apparently. Well, that's, 
I, as long as I could take this opportunity to point out the absurdity of that measuring system, I'm, I feel like I've done everything I've set out to do. So you've done other games since, and, and very recently you again, you had another first, another milestone in that you were the back judge in, in the Western final, right? Yes. Is that something again, that is like, uh, another big deal to make, or is that something that we talk about? And then as soon as the ball snap, it's again, it's just an official out there officiating the game. Again, I think it, it is a big deal, but you know, eventually we're going to be at the point where it's, it's not a big deal anymore. And I've had that conversation with lots of other, um, lots of other women that officiate, um, cause there are a fair number of women, um, across Canada that do officiate football. Um, and I, I've had that conversation with a few other people as well that say, like, you know what, They're like, this is, this is a big deal. It's a big deal right now. Uh, they're happy to see that I've gone through and I've kind of broken that barrier for other people going through. But, you know, the hope is that soon enough, it won't be, you know, it won't be just me and Georgina. It'll be, you know, a whole slew of female officials that'll come through um, and be able to do, to do these things. And you, and you have to say that, and I understand why, but it had to be really freaking cool to be standing out there in a playoff game, knowing that to this point, you were the first lady to get that call like like that you have to there's an, an immense amount of pride over that even if you you know you want it to eventually not be a thing right yeah for sure um yeah it was a really really big moment for me um i i didn't expect to to make it to that point in the um in the season so in in the cfl they typically will cut down the officiating roster at a couple points in the season so one being kind of the midway point at, at labor day so as a new official that's kind of always what you're striving for first just like all right i want to make it i want to make it to labor day i want to make it past that labor day cut um and so i was able able to do that and i thought awesome i've reached my my goal for the year um i thought i might get cut from the roster a few weeks later as they do sometimes can do another cut down just before playoffs um and was able to stick it right out till the end of the the regular season and then was again pretty pretty stunned to see that my name was on a on a playoff assignment heading into the postseason so how many games have you have you officiated in in the cfl to this point uh i believe i am up to I think I'm at 19 now. I did one my first year in 2019. Uh, and then we didn't have a season in 2020 because of COVID. Uh, last year I did three games. And then this year, including the playoff game, I believe I did 15. So it was quite, quite a jump going from, you know, doing three games and kind of getting my feet wet to sticking around for the entire season and getting a full slate of games. Which is incredible. I mean, when you think about the progression from 2019, missing a season, coming off of an injury, getting an opportunity to do one game, missing a season, doing three games, and then, and then getting a full slate of games. I mean, that, uh, ha I mean, you're not through it yet. You, you, you don't get to sit back and, and, you know, wax poetic about this officiating career you've had but i mean when you do look back on it you have to be like my gosh this is an incredible ride that i'm on yeah i don't think it's it's fully sunk in yet um but yeah it's been a it's been a pretty incredible kind of journey so far is is there anyone in the cfl 
in the officiating side that is a full-time ref or does everybody have a, a, a full-time job that they and they do this on the side yeah everyone has uh kind of a day job so to speak um so this is just like you said that at the start it's kind of like a side gig or a side hustle that that a lot of us uh do uh we do have some some officials that you know they might be retired from what their career was and now they they continue to do this but everybody everybody has an, an additional job that's that's paying the main bills through the year right and that so that's kind of like that's my i mean it's a cool job and it's a it's a fun job but i mean nobody's looking at this and saying you know someday i'm gonna make my my living officiating in the cfl so there's or I, and the nfl is the same way so there's there is always a love of the game aspect to this you're never doing this fully because you're going to be financially free of your other burdens you're going to have to do that stuff so this is always because you just want to do it yeah i think you know due to you know financial stuff and and the amount of time um that we give up with you know families and personal lives to to go to games and we're traveling around the country um on a weekly basis during the season um and then during the week we're doing uh we have meetings throughout the week video sessions you're reviewing video on your own you're doing rule studies so it's it's a massive time commitment um and yeah you really do have to have to love it and enjoy enjoy the game enjoy the people you're working with to continue to, to do it so you you've done 19 games you're you know when the when the whistle blows when the lights come on you're comfortable out there you've seen a bunch of different things so it's not like um there's one specific thing that that still might take your breath away when you get out there i mean maybe a, a horrific injury or something like that but let's try to not think about that what's like if you if i said emily what's something about the cfl that i might not appreciate fully from the stands or on tv like if you said well the guys are bigger or they're faster or they throw the ball far that i would go well no i can probably appreciate that but what is something about being there in the action that a, a tv doesn't do justice for and even front row seats don't do justice for what's something about the pro game that you kind of needed to be a part of to fully appreciate i think all of the many, many things that are all going on at, at one time, especially in a game like football where you've got 24, the CFL, 24 players out there, uh, and we've only got seven officials and we're all looking around. We all have our zones of the field or our keys that we're watching through. Um, and so you're, you know, you're only going to get one look at things and you're trying to shift your focus as quick as you can as something catches your eye. Um, but, you know, inevitably you're going to miss you're going to miss something. So the one thing I think that people don't realize is how much conversation is happening between officials in between plays as we're going and checking in with each other. Like, hey, did you see this? I caught the end of this block. I wasn't sure how it started. Um, or did you see, you know, a little bit of tug here? I didn't think it was enough to call it. Like, you know, we're constantly ruling on things that people don't believe that we're, we're ruling on. Like, you know, it's obvious when we've made a ruling and we throw a flag but there's so many little things that you know we decide to make as as a no call um that so much thought process has actually gone through our head to to you know arrive at the decision that yeah that's not a penalty well and and they're like football is a game of schemes and it's like 
subterfuge and different deceptions and you can see it when when the cameraman gets fooled right like the they they run play action and the camera sweeps up the field but then all of a sudden back down here there's a tackle at the end of the line and you can see the same thing happen with officials especially on the replays you'll see something happen and on the replay you'll look and you'll see somebody right behind the line of scrimmage and and their their back is to the play because they thought the ball was being thrown over their head or something like that so i in my head i think like there's so much of that happening in real time at at, at real life speed and in the back of your head you got to be thinking and i'm on tv and yeah. you know like kate beerness and rod smith might be breaking down this play in eight minutes and if I'm sitting out here looking in the wrong direction, there's no hiding from that from see the shining sea, right? Yeah. And and it's like at after 19 games, it's just the way it is, and you're fine with it. But those first few games, especially when they were making a big deal about you being out there, it's got to be something that at some point you just have to make your peace with, and that's what it is. Yeah, it, it definitely sticks in your head with it being, you know, with games being televised, um, with you know, high definition TV and people being able to like, you know, it used to be, you just get the replays on TV and whatever TSN would show you, that's what, that's what you had. But now with the way everybody's TVs work, anybody can stop at home, pause, rewind, replay. They can watch it 500 times. And we've only got, got one shot at it um, to make, to make the call. So you, you do definitely question yourself at times out there where you're like, did I just totally blow that is like, everybody at home watching this being like this official, like, what are they looking at? They totally miss something. So I'm, I'm glad to say that, you know, for the most part um, throughout my games, I haven't had any, any big misses like that, that have shown up on, on TV where like, again, people are just totally like, what is this person doing? But it, it, it does, it plays on you a little bit throughout the game. And then you have to, you know, kind of mentally pull yourself out of, out of that rut. And again, that's where the team of officials comes in really well, because we, we understand that for each other, whereas not a lot of people will. So when you've got other people on the field who understand that they can kind of see a little bit when you're like, yeah, I think they're thinking a bit too much about the last play that maybe they thought they should have ruled on differently. And, you know, you go and check on them. Hey, you good? Yeah, yeah I'm good. Okay, okay. Just move on, move on to the next one. Which is a, a skill you have to develop at, at a very early age as an official. So it's just a little more public, but you're still flexing that same muscle. Yeah. Uh, so so at the Western final, um, the CFL made a lovely post of you um, highlighting the fact that you were you were there and you were the first female to to participate um, in that function in, in a playoff game, and. I couldn't bring myself to just click on the comments. I was like, hey, look at this. Miss C is, is on there. But I was like, I, I just have no interest in reading it. Um, there's nothing uh, that's going to be in there that's going to enhance, only detract. So with with that and the, the fact that you're an official, which, I mean, nobody goes on the uh, fan pages for officials, and that you're a female, like, do you bother with that at all? Any of that social media stuff, or do you just leave it well enough alone and assume that the well wishes will find their way to you some other way? I'll look every so often. It's definitely not something that I that I focus on. I, like, it's it can't be something that you focus on. Um, like you said, usually nobody's going to you know give well wishes to to the officials. We're just not those those people in the sports world. Um, 
but um but yeah i i will every so often um and i had to laugh this this last time like you said with the post from from the western final i went on and had a look and you know lots of people that i i knew had made comments of congratulations um or saying that they thought it was great and uh you know inevitably i find a few of my my students that are on there that have made um made some comments so i was like oh so and so said said this uh, i was making fun of one of my grade nine boys he he called me a goat on there and i was like kaden i didn't even think you liked me he's like oh no missy you're great and um and then i had to laugh afterwards and he's like you know what some people on social media are just so rude and it's like amazing like grade nine you can figure this out that it's yeah it's not okay for people to go on there and just you know push kind of their own social agenda with these things and, and try and put put other people down or make something that's significant seem seem insignificant so i thought okay if, if grade nine boys can figure this out we've got we've got hope moving forward here yeah notoriously the least aware people in the history of the world are are learning a lesson from this it's like all the other good things that come out of this plus that man you're you're a saint you're doing the society a service that you never would have dreamt yeah so so I guess kind of around that, and I want to be I want to be super respectful for your time. So I just have a couple more things, but um, like, do you kind of prefer all this to be viewed as some kind of a trailblazer, or would you rather just do it because it's something that you're doing for yourself to prove to yourself that you could do it and not to anybody else? And do you get to have that choice? Is that something that's that's even on the table for you is it, or because of the fact that it's a public forum like this you are very clearly one of the first people to do it this is part of the deal that you signed up for yeah i don't know if it's if it's entirely my choice um i would say it's definitely not what i set out to do was to be a trailblazer like it was like getting into officiating was definitely for me and you know taking the step into the cfl was was for me um i think i've embraced a little bit more now um kind of what what my role is um in kind of breaking down some of these barriers for for other women that are going to come come after me through um and i do take more opportunity now to do to do things like this and then have chats with you uh, or to you know go and and chat with other um, with other organizations, like on Saturday, for instance, I'm going, going and helping out at a, a women's tackle football camp, um, and making an appearance there. Cause I do think it is important that, you know, people do see that the opportunity is out there because I didn't have that growing, growing up. And, you know, I was lucky that I guess just prior to getting into the CFL, it's Sarah Thomas down in the NFL that was, you know, making this kind of breakthrough down there. Um, but even then when she did it, I didn't see it as being like, oh, okay, maybe this will happen for me. I don't think it entirely will uh, or didn't at that time. But now that there's, you know, there's Sarah Thomas down there, there's Maya Chaka, and there's another female official that they have um, working on crews this year. It's becoming, I think, much more of a thing that people do see as being, you know, achievable or within their realm. So I think, I think, yeah, I think it's important that it's, it's you know, noted as to what, what i'm doing and what georgine is doing as well within the cfl um and yeah i think we're both both kind of embracing it as much as we can to be to be that figure for for young girls and and women to go through 
Right, because at some point you have to understand that it's a little bit bigger than than you, right? Yeah, absolutely. That like every every um, person who goes through to be a middle school gym teacher, they're doing it for the glory, right? Like that's why you do dodgeball glory. That's why we do it. <laughs> so as as I wrap up the pod, I always like to ask people what their vision of success is with with whatever it is that they're doing that's a little bit different than what they started out at and and now that they're in it and they're doing it does success look like anything you thought it might when you started not from what i started because i couldn't have i don't think i could have imagined kind of where where i'm at now um now now kind of in a joking way i measure success as you know not getting cut just keep on going, keep on, you know, trekking through, get the invite back to camp every year. Um, you know, cause we're, we're on a, we're on a year to year basis where, you know, we are expendable. If, if we don't have a good year, they can choose to not bring us back. So that's my goal right now is just kind of keep, keep on trekking through and, and keep moving. And, and so far, so far, so good with it. What a great podcast with Emily. So, so thankful for her to, to come on and be honest about what it's like to, to be a trailblazer in something like officiating pro football in Canada. You know, it, it's like I said at the beginning, this is exactly the type of, of person that I was looking for when I started this podcast. Somebody that I deal with, you know, on a time to time, you know, she teaches my kids, she's down at the school here at the end of the block. And then you find out that she's got this whole other side to her. These doing these crazy things that, well, not crazy, these interesting things that she, you know, is passionate about from her youth and, and she's, pursuing it and there's an avenue for it and we can talk about it and find out what went into it what other people that may want to do that can do to put themselves in a position and and i just her how gracious she was with her time and how honest she was about what went into it i thought it was a really good podcast a lot of fun to sit down and chat with somebody who like i said i've been on the other end of of a video screen from her numerous times with parent teacher interviews and this is the first time we got to talk about something more interesting than that so it was it was a great conversation really couldn't say enough great things about emily for jumping on with us we're getting close here to christmas we're starting to fill in the gaps a little bit and uh, we got a few more coming up before we take a couple of week break um for christmas we're gonna we're gonna check out for a couple of weeks and come back strong in the new year got some great ones in the hopper um, Sean Cairns, uh, if you if you don't know who Sean Cairns is, he's kind of a pioneer in the snowboarding business. I got Sean Newman from the Sean Newman podcast. He's a, a guy from Lloyd Minister who's a, a workaday fellow who started podcasting and now he's doing it full time. Got some really great ones coming and, and we want you guys to be a part of it because it's a lot of fun to sit down and uh, and hammer through some of these guests and, and talk to people and figure out what goes into a life that is a little bit different than what you started out at. So it's like we always say, there are no wrong answers. There's no test at the end. Make the most out of every day. The second half of the podcast, we'd like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music. Happy Rock. That is www.bensound.com. We'd also like to thank Chin Whiskers for the promotional consideration. You can find them at your local Tommy Guns, Original Barbershop, Amazon, or chinwhiskers.ca. And we would also like to thank you for listening. Test the microphone. No mmm noise. You're an asshole.